Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's up, Dub Nation? Recording this on a Friday. The Warriors back in action tonight, taking on Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Before we jump into that, don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're at Golden State of Mind, and you can hear the audio portion of our podcast on both iTunes and Spotify, wherever you get your fix. Brady, as you can see, not here today. Didn't hold up his end of the bargain by getting his haircut, so we hit the upgrade button, and we got ESPN's Mark Jones, who also covers the uh, does a play-by-play for the Sacramento Kings for NBC Sports California. And Mark, fellow Canadian, how you doing, my man? It's always good to talk to us. Good, good, good. I'm excited to chop it up with you a little bit, and... Uh... Always great to talk buckets, talk hoops. Yeah. So you were you were covering the 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 Kings' loss to the or pardon me the Warriors' loss to the Kings on on Thursday night. No Steph Curry, no Draymond Green, so no surprise that they ended up on the losing end of it. But I do want to ask you this: when you're watching the Warriors play, and obviously you're missing your your two best players, so it's difficult uh, for any NBA team. When you're watching them play in that one, what is one thing that stood out to you that you look at and think? this team really needs to improve this aspect if it wants to kind of not even just get into the play-in now because they're in danger of falling out of that, but moving up the standings because some people were looking at it and thinking, hey, if they can get up to a six seed, uh, guarantee themselves in the, in, to get in the playoffs, Joe Lacob obviously gets some playoff revenue coming in depending right. what happens with the vaccine. But when you're watching the Warriors play, what's the one thing you're looking at and thinking this team really needs to work on this? Well, it's, it's funny, you know, because I kind of uh, watched them last night and about – Midway through the second quarter, uh, my color analyst, Doug Christie, and I kind of looked at each other after Wiggins had his first 15-point first quarter and said, you know what, regardless of who the Warriors have on the court, they play the same way. So I'm kind of a glass half full right now on the Warriors as opposed to glass half empty because uh, the ball movement was there, the player movement was there. Uh, the unselfishness offensively was there uh, and they were getting buckets against uh, Sacramento and, and running their stuff. Well, um, at the defensive end, neither team was really stopping the other one at that point. But uh, when I look at Golden State uh, right now, uh, as I speak to you today, you know, with Wiggins, uh, Wiseman, Oubre, Poole, Lee, uh, those guys starting uh, or Toscano Anderson last night it was more a matter of uh, just having your ordinance, your weaponry available, as opposed to any kind of systemic problems or issues. They just didn't have Steph. I mean, they just didn't have Draymond against Sacramento. And that was a big uh, factor in the bottom line at the end of the day with them. When you're, when you're talking about, I mean, we're hoping that Steph Curry, we know he's going to miss tonight's game against Atlanta and then probably Monday again as well. When you're when you're looking at at the at the Warriors now, I mean, we're going down to the stretch drive of the season. Even with a healthy Steph Steph Curry, they've been they've been floating around 500 all season. You know, couldn't couldn't get on a run. Couldn't get now they're on a losing streak for the first time that they lost four in a row. But when you're looking at how they're how they're coming together, do you look at like the what Steph's doing this year, averaging 29 a game? Is this something that you think that 
okay, is it almost a wasted year for them? Like, how do you think they had to react once they found out Clay went down? I know that that threw everything for a loop because it was all built towards when he returns. But when you're looking at that, is this almost like a wasted year for, for a guy like Steph Curry? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't call it a wasted year. I think, um, you know, when the dust settles and Clay comes back next year, and regardless of who they have, the group of guys in particular, you know, Wiseman, Wiggins, uh, they've learned at that point how to play with Steph Curry because the Warriors offense, I think, is a little bit more nuanced than people realize. You saw it early in the season when, you know, some of the new guys didn't really know how to play with Steph because you've got to be able to hold on to that ball an extra beat until he relocates and gets open coming off a pin down or a weak side screen or pass it a little sooner than you think you need to pass it. So, you know, guys like Wiggins, guys like Oubre, um, you know, uh, Wiseman, his rookie year, they're all learning how to play with Steph. And um, I think in the meantime, you've gained that kind of corporate knowledge and that experience with those new guys moving forward. So, you know, Sure, Steph wants to win, man. He never wants to be out of the picture in terms of championship contention. His legacy is safe. All that stuff about his legacy being, you know, in jeopardy, I think is trash. That's that's just, I don't know whose narrative that is or who started that stuff. But, you know, uh, I, I don't think it's ever a wasted year for him. Uh, we've seen him do some phenomenal things this year, that 62-point game. Uh, you know, I, I, I think any time that you – have your people available and you're trying to win, it's never a wasted year, as opposed to some teams who we're going to see it now post-trade deadline, they go into the tank. And now I think you let tanking seep into your culture. And that's a loss more than anything. You're mentioning the tanking last season, the Warriors kind of unintentionally. I know they, they, they had to go through it just because Steph got hurt in game five and, and we knew Clay right. wasn't going to be back because of the torn ACL in, in game six of the 2019 final. Um, Speaking of the trade deadline, Kelly Oubre Jr. I know some people in, in terms of the Warriors fans are, are mixed on him. Like maybe we should have gotten rid of him because we could have gotten at least gotten an asset. Were you surprised at all that they didn't move him at the, at the deadline? You know what? Um, a guy on an expiring deal like Oubre is always going to be real attractive. There's a lot of activity and conversations about him. Um, but unless, you know, a team was feeling secure about being able to have cap room for him next year, and keep him, then you don't want to lose him for nothing after this season. So uh, not really surprised that he wasn't able to be moved. And, you know, Joe Lacob, man, they, they've shown a willingness to spend. I'm not sure whether Ubre is going to be around next year or not, but uh, I don't think that I was going to, could say I was actually surprised that he wasn't moved because, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a talented player and Golden State, they would rather win that much more with him than I think lose without him and risk falling out of the picture altogether this year. When you're looking at James Wiseman, you got a you got a up, up close look at him yesterday. You're going to see him again tonight. You're calling the the game for ESPN against the Hawks. Uh, Steve Kerr talked about it after the game yesterday and saying he, he had a rough outing. You know he's still learning and it's about getting games in. He only played three games at Memphis in, in college, so he doesn't have a huge you know ton of experience after high school in terms of playing legitimate games like that. What do you think the one thing he has to work on in order for him to reach his all-star potential? You know what? I think it's just him being able to accumulate the requisite experience. Uh, really talented guy. Saw him work out prior to this season in Miami where I live and um, where I have another home. And 
uh, saw him working about uh, with uh, his trainer there and against some other European pros. And the kid that, the thing that really impressed me about him is his competitiveness. You know, you speak to all the Warriors coaches too, and they'll tell you the first thing is that he loves to be coached. He wants to be coached hard. He wants to be great. Uh, I think at this point of the process, you know, he's averaging 12 and six a game as a rookie uh, on a team that's in playoff contention. Um, you know, it's just a matter of him doing more of what he's already doing. And he's in a great spot. I think if he's in, in Draymond's pocket the whole time and in Steph's pocket the whole time, he's going to be mentored by uh, two of the best in the game. And it's just a matter of him getting more reps, you know, that little uh, part of time going into the all-star break and coming to the all-star break where he, you know, missed his COVID tests and, and was in and out of the lineup and got sacked for a while. Um, that's just typical rookie stuff, but he's a, a, of what I know about him and being around him a little bit, he's a great kid. Uh, I spoke to Penny Hardaway, his collegiate coach about him. Fantastic kid that wants to be great and has a fantastic motor. And you look at his body. I mean, he already has an NBA type body, big, broad, strong shoulders. He'll fill out between now and, and, and next year. Um, when I look at him, having been very close to the Miami Heat during their four-year stretch where they were in the finals every year, I see Chris Bosch. I mean, a big guy. He's even a bigger, stronger version, I think, of Chris Bosch. But all the, the skills, the face-up game, uh, the subtleties in his footwork last night against Sacramento, I saw him get the ball. He did one of those old-school Jack Sigma reverse pivots faced up and knocked down a mid-range jump shot. Doug Christie and I looked at each other like, wow, that is a big time move. So you can tell he's being coached and he's being refined game by game. And as we talked about their fellow Canadians, so you saw Bosch, you know, when they kept an yeah. eye on him when he, when he was coming up and it took him, it took him two or three seasons to really sure. find, find his footing. You think you're looking at a similar timeline with, with Wiseman, give him about two, two, three years to really start getting to that next, you know, where he's double digits in points, double digits in rebounds. Yeah, I, I think so. And the great thing about him in um, in the Warriors system is it's a it's an egalitarian type of offense where uh, everybody gets an opportunity. Everybody's got options within the offense based on their continuity. And he's a guy that he can dribble it. We've seen him dribble it 94 feet and do some things off the bounce. Not a lot, but enough for him to add that much more of a variable to their offense. And I think, you know, I would expect that next year he's going to make a pretty significant leap. And then the year after that, another one. And, you know, he, he's a franchise corner piece guy. He is no doubt. I have to ask you this, Mark, I'm going to ask you to put your, your general manager hat on it. We're, we're talking Wiseman and I look at him as, okay, he's going to be a good player for 10, 15 years. So the Warriors, as they're transitioning out of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, all in the thirties now, you know, three, four, five years down the line, looking at that Minnesota Timberwolves top three protected pick for this season, ends up being unprotected in 2022 which if you're bob myers going into the summer are you looking at okay should we try and use that pick and acquire like i you know bradley beal or joe lacob he has enough money to, to pay the tax i don't think they're worried about okay, that they've right. shown that but yeah. when you're when you're looking at them going into the offseason again now now we're hoping clay's back you know after missing two seasons are you looking at saying let's add another piece that we can put alongside wiseman that we're going to be transitioning out so we're still a very good team for 10, 15 years, or is it let's go all in, let's get another superstar here to put with these guys and try and, you know, go for the championship for the next three, four years, as opposed to the long-term vision. You know what? I'll, um, I'll go with the former where you, 
or go towards a win now type of mode and win for the next three years. Because even when you're doing your best in the NBA, your window of being able to keep your guys together is so tight. If you have a, a four-year run like the Warriors just got through or a four-year run uh, like the Heat had with their big three, with the Heatles, with LeBron, Bosch, and Wade, it's, it's at max a, a four-year window. So I don't see where picks are that valuable in getting a young guy to come in. I'm, tr I'm, I'm of the, the Pat Riley school where I'm going to get a superstar now or a key piece that's going to help me win now and worry about paying the mortgage later. Because I think you end up ultimately a little bit more successful that way because those, those dynastic you know, old Celtics 10 year runs. Those don't exist in today's NBA with the economics. Of it. You're, you're calling the game tonight against the Hawks. They're, they're eight and two since Nate McMillan came over uh, the Warriors. I've, and then this is the way the condensed schedule is. It has to be because of the pandemic. I think they're going right. to come out a little bit sluggish in the, in this one, but what, what are you looking for from the Warriors specifically against guys like Trey young? Cause I look at, I look at Danilo Gallinari. He's been much better since uh, right. Pierce was fired and they bought in McMillan. So when you're looking at that, what, what is one thing the Warriors have to do to be successful against Atlanta? Because they're teetering. They're, they're hanging on to that second playing yeah. spot by a thread. Like, you, you know, you called the game against the Kings. Yeah. The Kings are only two back now. So what do the Warriors have to do to get a much-needed win against a, a good young Hawks team? You know, they, they need to get Draymond back um, tonight because Draymond makes them uh, function that much more smoothly at the defensive end, which is where this year we've seen that's where they hang their hat defensively. They're not – number four in field goal percentage defense. They are top 10 uh, rated defensive team. It starts there and getting Draymond back is a big thing, you know, because they've got to be able to close out tonight on a lot of these hot shooters. You know, they're getting healthy now. Uh, um, Hunter's back. Bogdanovich is finding his rhythm. You mentioned Gallinari. Uh, if the Warriors play good defense, run the Hawks off the three-point line, uh, get a handle and keep a handle on Trey Young. I think they're in good shape. And, um, you know, they, they've got all the pieces to do it. You know, you were talking about Oubre, um, you know, him still being around. I think that's going to help them moving forward, especially at the defensive end this year. They're braved about what he's done at the defensive end to help them. And, you know, Wiggins, for the most part, has taken on the challenge this year of guarding the other team's best wing player and done a fairly good job at that. Uh, I think they're in good condition tonight if uh, – you know, I'll be at a second night of a back-to-back. -back. If they if they guard, they're, they're going to be okay. Looking at the last couple of months of the season now, we're going into it. I, I know that I think any NBA owner is looking at, especially here in, in, in California, where they're like, if we need to get 25 people, 25% people coming into the arena, at least we're making some of this money back, you know? And, and, and the Warriors, right. they did shed some money and, and save themselves some money on the tax by, by getting rid of Brad Wanamaker and, and Marquise Chris. When you're looking down the line now for, for the Warriors, do you see them getting into not even just the play-in, but do you see them being one of the eight teams that's in the Western Conference playoffs just to like when they actually start things off? Yeah, I think they're too good. I think Steve Kerr is too good a coach for them not to be. I think that their talent is too good for them not to be, even if it's nine or ten. I think they'll at the very least be in the play-in scenario. Uh, it's a matter of them being able to keep guys on the floor. You know, nobody saw Draymond Green having to sit out last night and uh, – Nobody saw Steph's uh, tailbone injury being as severe as it was when we initially saw him go down. So, you know, think about those two guys being out of the rotation, right, for, for the Warriors. That's, that's a lot of what makes you guys, the Warriors, click at both ends of the floor. So uh, I would expect that, you know, for the time being without Steph, that, you know, there's going to be more shots available for Wiggins. There's going to be more opportunities for 
or Ubre, and after that slow start this year, he's looking like the Ubre of last year a little bit more. And uh, they've they've got enough pieces to make it happen. Well, it's funny because I'm saying it too. I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're Utah or you're the the Phoenix Suns, who I, I think obviously are, are better teams overall than 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 the than the Dubs. But you don't want to face Steph Curry in a, in a seven game playoff series because he could score no. forty for four times yeah. and win each game. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm hoping they do at least make it there, so we get to see Steph go off. Uh, I'm going to yeah. wrap up with a final few questions for you, just about your time in the NBA. Uh, when you look back at at, at your career, you're, you're Canadian, like I mentioned, moved over to, in, right. to ESPN in 1990. When you look at your life, are you just like, how did this all happen? Like, how, how do you look back at all this the last 30 years of your career? Yeah. By, by the grace of God, man, I'm really blessed. I mean, grew up with two fantastic parents, uh, my mom and dad, and my older brother and I were always into sports, man. The television was always on sports growing up, whether it was you know, football, basketball, hockey, any kind of sports that was on TV, we were watching it. Um, you know, to be able to get an opportunity at TSN in Toronto when I first started uh, working for $35 a shift, I tell young broadcasting students that all the time, it doesn't matter, you know, what you're, what you're making when you first start out, just get in the door and uh, parlay that into a reporter's job one day when one reporter didn't show up. They needed somebody to go down to Maple Leaf Gardens to do interviews. Hey, call Mark Jones. He'll do it. I did it. And I was fresh, fresh out of college at the time and um, became an anchor on the sports desk, got an agent, got the ABC ESPN gig in June of 1990. And it's been a fantastic role ever since. It's given me the opportunity to interview uh, world leaders, travel the world a little bit, uh, cover NBA finals, cover uh, diverse things like world track and field championships, uh, world gymnastics championships. I've worked with Carl Lewis. I've worked with um, uh, Bart Connor in gymnastics. I mean, I've had a fantastic life, man, in sports. What's your What's your most memorable game or event that you've covered over 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 your career? Man, there have been some fantastic ones. Um, you know, I think about uh, being part of the. Michael Jordan run six titles and um, seeing him just during the playoffs at the old Chicago stadium. I'll, I'll never forget him coming down the, that old ramp at Chicago stadium and getting out and seeing him flanked by security people and um, uh, going into his locker room stall and, and just sitting there beside him and being able to, to spend time like that uh, because, you know, what they didn't have all this, um, not lack of access, but they had a lot more accessibility back then. You know, you walked in the locker room and just talked to guys. So I think about the, the NBA finals that I've covered, uh, covered the NBA finals, did play-by-play -play for ESPN 3D uh, back in 2011 when the Mavericks beat the Heat. Um, I've, I've been to the Pan Am Games in Havana, Cuba and done the boxing championships, uh, world track and field championships in Sweden and seen uh, guys run a 9-8 in the hundred meters. I mean, it, it, there's been a great long list. You must've been happy when Donovan Bailey won the, won the gold in 96 in Atlanta. Hey. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Remember that. Yeah. All right, Mark, we'll wrap up on this one. When you're looking at, again, like you mentioned, you've, you've done all these cool events from track and field to the NBA finals. When you look at the last 30 years, even the last 40 years, who is the best overall athlete just in general, in your opinion, whether it's Michael Jordan, a guy like Carl Lewis, like you mentioned, who, who is at the top of your list when you, when you look at the last, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, I think about LeBron James. I mean, just phenomenal, um, you know, um, you know, outside of Muhammad Ali, because I never really covered him. 
but the guys that I've been, had an opportunity to be around, it, it has to be LeBron. Just um, his longevity, his endurance, his championship uh, accomplishments and lineage. And beyond the, like, outside of Muhammad Ali, LeBron has had an impact beyond his sport that has transcended borders. And uh, you think about what he's done as an activist in this country to uh, get this country to live up to its uh, empty promises. Uh, the I Promise school that he started in Akron. I mean, his impact goes beyond his championships and he's become this multi-million, uh, billion dollar brand now too, beyond him. Yeah, it's a different, and it's it's just a different world. Like you're mentioning, the impact yeah. that we're seeing from him and and how he's been socially active, and that wasn't what we saw in the in the '90s and, and early 2000s. And you know, maybe yeah. it's the platforms or general yeah. awareness, but it's been great to see. Mark, I want to yeah. thank you for taking the time out. I appreciate you doing this. Always, as I always say, it's always good to talk to a fellow Canadian. You got it, man. You got I it. appreciate thank that. Yeah, you got it. That's, that's Mark Jones from ESPN. He also works on the Sacramento Kings broadcast for NBC California. You can catch Mark on tonight's game covering the Dubs and the Hawks. Don't forget, before we wrap up, subscribe to our YouTube page at Golden State of Mind, and you can catch the audio portion of this on both iTunes and Spotify. That does it for this episode. We'll catch you all next week.